today, but are you at this point, but I'm not going to ask you to do that today, not because we're not going to be in Scripture, but because we're going to be in so many different ones that I couldn't just pick one that would represent what it is that we're talking about today. So I'm going to read them all, okay? So you don't have to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, might our minds and hearts be focused upon what it is that you're calling to us. Might we put aside the burdens and the cares and all that we have faced this week. Close out those voices, Lord, that we would hear only yours. That your spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to what it is that you have for us, what you're calling us to do, and how we can conform our lives to the things of Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Now, this is the first in about six sermons that we're going to do um, on Lent. Now, I've never done anything on Lent before, um, but I was thinking that really we needed to do something on it, and then somebody asked me about it, so I took that as good confirmation that we should do something on Lent. Now, uh, if you just take this sermon by itself... And don't take into account the other five that are coming. You'll go, gee, that's a stinky sermon. Uh, now, if you listen to this one and understand it in context with all the others, you, you might have a, you might think it's good, or you still might think it's a stinky sermon. I, that's uh, up to you. But really, this is an introduction to what is coming. So it might seem a little out of place or out of what we normally do, because most sermons, even in a series, can stand alone. But, you know, in a series, you're usually preaching through the section of a book. Uh, we are going to preach, th- preach through and study the book of Lamentations uh, in this season of Lent. Okay? And this is an introduction to that. So try to keep that in mind as we work through this. Okay? Now, we like Easter. I don't know if you like it at your house, but we really like it at my house. My girls usually get new dresses for Easter. Uh, a little chocolate is uh, distributed around to everybody. Um, Fred Astaire and Judy Garland go down Fifth Avenue in their new hats. And uh, everybody, all the beautiful people are walking out there in the Easter parade. For those of you who don't know that movie, Easter Parade. In your Easter bonnet with all... Okay, thank you. That's enough of that. Uh, we sing about Christ being risen from the dead and risen from the grave. And we know that those who are in Christ also will come from the grave with bodies that are fit for all eternity. We know that that is coming because that he has done the work. Easter is full of good news. But to get to Easter, we have to go through this season. Okay, This season of preparation for the joy that we will experience on Easter. Now, understanding our sin and our sin that comes in our sin is very important for us. And that understanding comes in a variety of degrees. For some people, maybe real young in their understanding, whether physically young in age or simply spiritually young in age, they understand that sin is doing wrong. It is doing what God does not like. For others of us who have been around, we understand the depth of depravity, the depth of our sin as much as humanly possible. We understand how, how much God hates sin. It can't be in his presence. Okay, We understand these things. Jeremiah chapter 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? 
Once we come to this point, this point of trying to grasp sin, now comes the time of contrition because the Lord wants a broken and contrite heart in his presence. The Lord says, those who humble themselves, he will do what? Exalt. Those who exalt themselves, the Lord will humble. Okay? Humbling ourselves before the Lord, mourning for our sin, gaining some control over the things of the flesh, over those areas of our lives that threaten to control us. These are paramount to really understanding what it means to live the resurrected life. If you understand these things ahead of time, then when we get to Easter, you'll understand a lot more. Because Easter changed everything. It changed everything. To fail to acknowledge and understand sin will mean a failure to understand the greatness of God and his forgiveness and exactly what that can mean in our lives. Now, because the ongoing battle of sin in our lives, believers, we need regular times where we examine, do some self-examination, a time to look at our own lives, a time to examine where the flesh has more control over our lives than it should or than, than we want it to, than what the Lord calls us to. We need to understand how much God's grace has been bestowed upon us. And really, you forget those things because we get caught up in life. We get busy and we get gone and, and we don't take time to reflect on this great gift that the Lord has given us. Historically, Lent has been a time of self-examination. It has been a time not simply to, to deprive yourself of something. Everybody goes, well, what would you give up for Lent? Um, and, and, you know, some people go, I, I don't know, what, what should I do? Because they don't understand it. Some people give up something every year for Lent because it has become a habit. Some people do it because it becomes a spiritual discipline. And that's where we want to look today. Not just giving something up, that's, that's not sufficient. But we want to look at what the Lord is calling us to do to discipline us, to bring us more in, conform, in conformity with what he wants us to be, so that when we get to the day of resurrection, then we're really ready for the empty tomb. Now let me give you a little history of Lent. As I said, an introduction to what we're doing. Lent probably um, came about, Lent is not a biblical term, Okay, remember that. It's not a biblical term, but it has been in church history since the second century in one form or another. Lent probably came about as a time of preparation for those who were going to join the church and be baptized. And it was several days, uh, both in the first and second century, it came about as several days of fasting in preparation for that time of baptism. That the Council of Nicaea in 325, a 40-day time period was then really not set, but became the norm for this season of preparation. Forty days. Where would we get 40-day number? Oh, Jesus in the desert for 40 days. Um, but if you count the days from what's traditionally known as the start of Lent, Ash Wednesday to Easter, you get a lot more than 40 days. Well, that's because they didn't count the Sundays as part of that. Okay, We're talking about 40 weekdays between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And it culminates at Easter, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Saturday, and then, of course, Easter Sunday. Lent has traditionally been marked by penitential prayer, fasting, and historically by almsgiving. Now, I don't know, I don't have any alms in my pocket, okay? But what that typically means is that giving above and beyond what would normally be given or doing things 
acts of charity and kindness beyond our own, we'll say, comfort zone. Historically, people would spend the season of Lent working with lepers. And if you go back far enough, you understand that lepers were, uh, you know, to be avoided. But they would take that time as, as time devoted to the Lord and go and help the lepers. They would go and help the desperately poor. They would get away from what they normally do and go and reach out in some fashion. Now, some churches still still encourage and experience uh, uh, the members experience a rather rigid set of fasting uh, and and dietary things uh, within their um, uh, within their practices. Uh, in medieval times, especially, they gave up meat, alcohol, um, other types of food uh, on weekdays. Uh, you could not eat meat, milk products, and eggs, and only one meal a day could be eaten. During medieval times, you couldn't get married during the season of Lent. Uh, married couples were uh, expected to remain uh, abstinent during the season of Lent. Uh, dancing and entertainment were forbidden during Lent in the medieval times. And if you get the cookbooks, they called them cookery books in the medieval times, you see lots of recipes that were for no meat and they would use things such as olive oil, almond milk, dried fruit um, as part of a fasting, a cleansing process. And fasting is not simply not eating or not eating one thing. It might also mean that you eat less than you normally did. Okay? Some of us sit there at the table and eat till we're full. Well, a way to fast, a way to show that the flesh does not control you is to practice this action. Okay, this action, away from the table. I've had a little bit, now the flesh, my appetites are not going to control me, so I'm going to move away from that pot roast that still smells good and sits there and calls my name, and I'm going to move away from it. At the time of the Reformation and after, Lent became really a personal piety issue. It wasn't practiced in uh, the Reformed churches except in kind of the high churches of Anglicanism. Uh, But the influx of of Irish immigrants into this country brought with they brought with them the practices of Roman Catholicism and Lent. And uh, I mean, I've, I've mentioned several times before that I can remember in the public school system we always had fish on Friday. Okay, why? That was a part of Lent. Okay, and the practices uh, because we our area was so highly Roman Catholic that that just became the norm when I was growing up. Today. Lent goes from complete rejection and ignoring to some form of practicing, either as individuals or as churches. Other traditions don't uh, place an emphasis on fasting, uh, but they place an emphasis on doing those good works and those good deeds during Lent. Uh, Giving to charity, spending more time uh, in, in helping the poor physically and things like that. The word Lent comes from a Teutonic German word, which means springtime. So Lent can also be like a spring cleaning, where in the self-examination that we do of our spiritual lives, the Lord calls us to clean some things out. Okay? So in this 40-day time period, as we either deny ourselves certain things that historically has been done, or food or other things, we are cleaning out of our lives those habits those things that we have fallen into, 
that we perhaps have slid into, little by little, things that have, uh, uh, you know, sins that we used to hold out here now that we're just a little bit closer to them. Okay? And the Lord says, take this time to clean out those things. Get rid of them from your lives. Now, there are certain events that are tied to Lent, which may or may not be biblical. biblical okay? And one of them is, would be Mardi Gras or Carnival, which is Carnival's the Latin phrase for re- removal of meat. And these would be the preceding three days before Ash Wednesday, the Tuesday the Monday, and the Sunday. Um, Ash Wednesday would be the start of the Lenten season, and those three days all before Ash Wednesday are also known as Shrovetide. Shrove is an old English word uh, for repent. And that Tuesday before Ash Wednesday is known as Shrove Tuesday, or Fat Tuesday, or Mardi Gras. And at Mardi Gras... Uh, it has become a time that has really turned into a time of excess before Lent so that you can, uh, in a sense, get all that sin out of your system because when, Lent, when Ash Wednesday comes, everybody's going to church, going to get ashes on their head and deny themselves certain things. Uh, you know, I come from the north, Mardi, Mardi Gras, we didn't know anything about it. Uh, and I come down to the south, and, and um, about two years ago I was in Natchez, Mississippi, right after Ash Wednesday. We got there Friday. And we walked around this little town in in Mississippi, and there were still beads laying on the sidewalk, and there were pieces of candy, and there were cabbages laying on the sidewalk. Now, I asked somebody in in the town, I said, now, y'all had a Mardi Gras parade? So, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I understand the the beads and the candy. Where did the cabbages come from? And they said, well, they threw them off the floats. And, and I didn't want to seem too ignorant, so I went, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, but nobody could answer why they threw cabbages. Okay, So if you have that answer, you tell me going out the door. Why they would throw cabbages off the Mardi Gras floats at the people. And I don't mean coleslaw. I mean full head of cabbage. Okay, Full head of cabbage uh, laying on the streets. In certain cultures, many, many Christians have become uncomfortable with Mardi Gras because of what it has deteriorated into. In many cultures, such as the Brazilian culture, the French culture in Louisiana, and even some Caribbean cultures, it has become one large drunk, okay? One large drunken party. And that's why so many churches have kind of held it away from them. Now, another event is Ash Wednesday. Now, that's the seventh Wednesday before Easter, and it's the first day of the season of Lent. And that is really when it begins. The time of self-examination kicks in and you become um, one of those who goes before the Lord. And traditionally, as we'll look at several scriptures here in just a second, putting ashes on your head was a time of mourning. A sign, an external sign of sorrow and repentance. And that's where we cut Ash Wednesday from. Gregory the Great, uh, one of the early... Uh, Roman Catholic popes really started it, and people would come into his church, and he would take ashes and put them on on their head um, as a sign of repentance. Now, the ashes, uh, one of my Presbyterian friends told me this, the ashes really were to come from the previous year's Palm Sunday palms, and you let them sit in the rafters all year, and they dry up, and you burn them up and mix them with a little oil, and that's where you get the ashes from. Did anybody know that ahead of time? 
A couple, all right, a couple. Well, and, and Gregory the Great would say, you are dust and you return to dust. That was the theme with the ashes. The origin of ashes is, is pretty, uh, pretty widely seen throughout Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 6, O daughter of my people, gird on sackcloth, roll in ashes. Typically, they just put ashes on their head when they were mourning or repenting. Jeremiah says, roll in the ashes. You've been so bad, you've got to roll in them. Uh, Daniel the prophet said, I turn to the Lord God, pleading in earnest with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. If you remember, sackcloth would be our term for burlap. So take off all your clothes, put on a big burlap outfit, and sit in an ash pile as a sign of your repentance. Put ashes on your head. If you've been really bad, roll around in them. Okay? Now, perhaps the best-known example of repentance comes from the prophet Jonah. Now, Jonah preached the simplest and the shortest sermon in Scripture, seven words. And he walked around town preaching that sermon. And what happened to the Ninevites? They all repented. The king puts on sackcloth. He takes off his royal robes. He puts on sackcloth. He leaves the palace. He goes and sits in an ash heap, and he puts ashes on his head, and he repents. He calls the entire city to repent. And if you remember, the, remember what Jonah says, basically Jonah says, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go and preach the good news to them because, Lord, I knew you would save them. And they, those were people who are, are not like me. The Ninevites were not Jewish. They were not descendants of Abraham. And Jonah said, why should they hear the good news? Why should they give, be given the chance to repent? They're not your chosen people, but the Lord says, go there. And after Jonah went over there, okay, and the Lord got his attention, he made it to Nineveh, preached the sermon of seven words, and the entire city repented. They even put sackcloth on the cattle. Okay, I don't think the cattle repented, but it was a sign of repentance. Okay, A sign of repentance. He's, the king said, let everyone call urgently upon God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. A time of repentance. The prophet Joel in chapter 2 says we are to approach God with fasting and weeping and mourning. But he says he reminds us. That God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, rich in kindness, relenting in punishment. So he says he invites you to come and repent before the Lord. Show your sorrow about your sin and come before him because he is faithful to forgive. And Joel says not just individuals. He calls on the entire nation. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, proclaim a fast, call an assembly, gather the people, notify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the infants on the breast. Bring them all to repent before the Lord because he is faithful to forgive. Now, Paul doesn't talk about sitting in ashes, but he talks about with the same urgency. He says, today is the day of salvation. Okay, do it now. Today is the day of salvation. Plenty of other places in Scripture that talk about mourning and, and physically sitting in ashes. Second Samuel, Esther, Job. Uh, Job doesn't remember. Job is sitting in an ash pile, and he's taking a pot shirt, with it, which is a piece of pottery that's, you know, you smash a pot, you take a sharp piece, and he's scraping the boils on his arms and on his body that have come to him. But he is repenting of his sin, and he is seeking the Lord in this whole thing, asking the Lord questions. Why has this come upon me? 
Okay, so Job is, is, spends a lot of time in ashes. Daniel, Matthew, we see this as a regular practice. Now, none of us go and sit in ashes, but in Lent, it is a time to sit and reflect. And we need to take some time to reflect upon our sin, reflect upon what the Lord calls us to do, how he calls us to live, and where we're falling short. Where we're falling short. We talk about fasting for a moment in particular. Many people give up some sort of food for Lent. I read, I read on, on one church's website that they were encouraging people to give up particular sins for Lent. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I thought. <laughs> and, and then after Easter, I'll go right back, okay, right back to them. Uh, I didn't think that was too good. If, you're gonna, if you know you're in sin, why just give it up for Lent? Okay, give it up because the Lord hates it. Give it up because the Lord hates it. Um, but by giving up certain foods or activities that we love, that in a sense, we have to ask ourselves, do they have power over us? Do they control us? See, the whole issue with fasting is not to lose weight. You might lose a few pounds by fasting. And, and, and I say, well, do you mean I don't have to, I'm not supposed to eat for 40 days? No. You might fast by, again, eating less of certain things. You might fast by giving up something completely. Chocolate. That's sacrifice. Okay? You might fast by giving up one particular meal. Lunch on Fridays. Okay? You say, I'm going to fast on Fridays. Does that mean you work through lunch on Fridays? No. That means you take that time period. Let's say 30 minutes. You would eat lunch on Friday. And you spend that time in prayer, and reading the Word. Okay, You don't just simply do something else with that time you would normally eat, but you spend it with the Lord. Okay, So when we talk about fasting, we are talking about removing things that might have control over our lives, our appetites. Okay, I like to cook. I like to eat. Okay, Got to remove some of that and see who controls my life. Does my stomach control my life, or does the Lord? And if you can control that, if you can put those desires of the flesh aside and focus upon the Lord for that period of time, then at the end of Lent, at the time of the resurrection, you can look back and say, that, that issue of the flesh no longer has control in my life. No longer has control. Okay? The prophet Isaiah reminds us that simply not eating is not sufficient. Okay? He says, is this the manner of fasting I wish? This is the Lord talking He says, of keeping the day of penance, that a man bow his head like a reed and lie in sackcloth and ashes. Do you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Well, the problem was these people were simply going through the motions. They were not eating Friday lunch. They weren't spending that time with the Lord. They were wearing sackcloth and ashes so everybody could see them. But their hearts were not broken. Okay, Now... The mind of God simply says, don't simply deny yourself something, but do it with a heart that is broken and contrite. Do it with an understanding that you you deny yourself something so that you may experience more of what the Lord has for you. Okay, Remember we t- last week we talked about weaning. We need to be weaned away from certain things so that we might experience more of what the Lord has for us. The same type of thing goes on in fasting. And, of course, Christ reminds us, don't let anybody know. If you're fasting, you know, don't meet with your friends and say, oh, no, I'm fasting today. Can't have lunch with you. 
And they're going, oh, you're fasting. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, this Lent, and I've decided that I would give up Friday lunch. And, and I know we usually meet on Fridays, but uh, uh, for Lent, I'm going to give all that up. They're not supposed to know. Your countenance is not supposed to be down. You're not supposed to broadcast that. Remember the Pharisee and, and the publican, the tax collector, and, and, the, and the Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I fast twice a week and I give alms and look how holy I am. And what did the tax gatherer say? Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. When we fast, when we do these things, nobody's really supposed to know. You can make excuses for not meeting that group at lunch on, re- on a regular basis. Or you can go and and, and not eat with them. Now, that might be a problem because sooner or later they're going to ask you about it. And you don't want to have to say. It's, it's kind of the thing that you do between you and the Lord. Between you and the Lord. Now, Chrysostom, John Chrysostom, who was in the 4th century, wrote one of the best things on fasting I've ever read. He was known to fast. He was known to live an, ext- an aesthetic lifestyle in an age of opulence in Constantinople. And in fact, his, his aesthetic lifestyle so offended the king and his wife that they kicked him out of the city. Now imagine that. So offended were the, was the king and his wife by the lifestyle of aestheticism that they kicked John Chrysostom out of the city. He wrote, Fasting is, as much as lies in us, an imitation of angels, a school of prayer, a nourishment of the soul, a bridle of the mouth, an abatement of concupiscence. It mollifies rage. It appeases anger. It calms the tempest of nature. It excites reason. It clears the mind. It disburdens the flesh. It chases away the pollutants of the night. It frees us from pain. By fasting, a man gets composed behavior, free utterance of his tongue, right apprehensions of his mind. You are, when you deny yourself something, attacking sin in your life. Attacking sin in your life. So I would encourage you to join me in these things this this season of Lent. First, read a psalm every day. Make that psalm your basis for prayer for that day. We're talking about the 40 days of Lent beginning on Ash Wednesday until Easter. 40 days. There's 150 psalms. Pick one of those each day. Read through it. Make it your basis for your prayer life on that day. Pick something in your life. Perhaps it is one meal a day. Perhaps you can't miss a meal because of your physical limitations or something. Then consume less. But do it because you're denying your flesh what it desires and you're saying the Lord has control over my life, not my flesh. If you're going to deny yourself an entire meal, do so and spend that time in prayer and in study before the Lord. Okay? If you give up one thing, it better be an important thing in your life. Because if it's an important enough thing in your life, that means you can exercise control over it. It does not exercise control over you. For the next couple weeks, we're going to learn what it means to go before the Lord and repent of our sin and lay ourselves before him. And as we go through Lamentations, to lament our shortcomings so that when Easter Sunday comes... When we look and that stone has been rolled away and that tomb is empty, 
we will understand what it means to live in resurrection power. We will, mean, we will understand what it means to live not controlled by the things of the flesh, but controlled by the things of our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, who has given His life on the cross for us to atone of our, for our sin. And that grave is empty. And we can live in that same power. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you today and, and uh, a history lesson a lesson of how it is people have expressed their sorrow and mourned their sin and repented in Scripture. Lord, we don't sit in ashes and wear sackcloth today. Because of the work of Christ, we can come right to the throne of grace. We can repent of our sin. We can mourn how far we have fallen short of what it is that you've called us to do. Lord, remind us in these next 40 days that you should have control in our lives, not the desires and the things of the flesh. Show each of us as individuals how we can spend these next days being attentive to those things those sins that we have in our lives, those places where we need to mourn and repent of those things, and what it is, this new life that you're calling us to, as we look in anticipation for the day of resurrection, not just on Easter, but the day of our resurrection, the day when we will be raised with bodies that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, and that are fit for all eternity, bodies that are fit to worship and serve you, 